Hi, we're Grace and Clara, here to shake up the world of women's health. We know firsthand how intimidating it can be to speak up when it comes to issues like your menstrual cycle or menopause. That's why we created Unprocessed, a weekly podcast where we dive into every aspect of women's health, from mental well-being to physical nutrition. We're here to ask the burning questions and encourage us all to advocate for ourselves. So get ready for some smart, cheeky and witty discussions about all things women's health. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. You have Grace and Clara in your ears and today we're diving into the multifaceted world of IVF and fertility. I don't know about you, but when I hear the term biological clock, it can often feel like an additional weight, adding pressure to our already complex lives. But what if there was more to this concept than meets the eye? In today's podcast, we are joined by biomedical naturopath Megan Haralimpo for an open and insightful discussion about the intricate world of fertility. She's a naturopath, nutritionist, herbalist, and women's health expert who understands the beauty of creating a family as both a wife and mother of two. With eight years of rigorous academic study and exclusive clinical experience, she collaborates with couples to uncover the underlying factors affecting fertility and designs a tailored plan to address them. Megan, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. So how did you start off? How did you get into this area? I, so I started my study, my dad, well, hang on, I'll start. My dad's a chiropractor, actually. Right. And I, yeah, so my dad's a chiropractor and I started working as a medical receptionist. I actually didn't know what I wanted to be mm. um, when I was growing up. I kind of just was floating around, didn't really know. And then my dad needed a receptionist and he worked in an integrative medical practice at the time with holistic GPs and natural and chiros and osteos and all the things and I worked there for a few years and then that's kind of the sparked the interest I suppose for me and I was like okay I kind of like this I really enjoyed looking over bloods and you know helping patients and you know kind Mm -hmm. of being um, even though I was only a medical receptionist I really enjoyed like watching them do their thing because they were an integrative GP so they were quite um, into all the supplements and you know um, different types of um, testing and you know supplement lifestyle dietary recommendations and then um, a few years went past and I started working at different medical centers up here um, on the Gold coast and they were all integrative and then I eventually started my biomedical science degree and I actually wanted to become an integrative GP that was my initial goal was that I loved Mm. you know the the combining of the two and then I finished my biomedical science degree that was 11 years ago now and then I went to go start my um uh, medical degree and uh, at the time my um the integrative gps that i was working for at the time said don't do it they like they actually ended up talking me out of it um in the end they said don't do it we're super restricted you know we're always kind of under fire at the moment in terms of you know they're prescribing and things like that and they're mm. like just go be a naturopath and then you can kind of do whatever you want <laughs> you know fly under the radar no one will bother you kind of thing um so yeah i ended up being a naturopath i did my naturopathy degree and i um i majored in complementary medicine and um, natural medicine and got that done and finished that 2015 and then yeah here we are and then yeah and then my interest with like blood testing and pathology interpretation was really sparked through my naturopathic degree where I had a fantastic lecturer um, who you know kind of gave us this hormone blood testing bible and I just devoured it and that's really kind of where my passion for blood testing and really understanding people and optimal levels and what's high and lows and patterns of people and you know what's important and what's not really kind of developed from there and Mm. I've you know been basically obsessed pretty much ever since. So can you explain for us in the audience, I guess, what are the basics of fertility and Mm. how, you know, what are women coming to see you about? Most of the time, 
for me particularly, I see the women who have already got the problem. So they have been, they've gone through multiple IVF rounds, failed IVF rounds, failed IUI, um, you know, so the mm. IVF is usually complex, I would say. I don't typically see, I mean, I do see a portion of um, clients who don't have, you know, any major fertility issues, but the types mm. of clients I see are the ones that have been trying for years to get pregnant. There are no answers and they come to me and my role is there to help to support their egg quality, maybe help them understand if there are other tests that maybe haven't actually been done, interpret Mm -hmm. their test results for them, actually give them understanding. You know, I've had many women who've come to me who have had multiple miscarriages, for instance, and they actually have really high antibodies and they have Hashimoto's that's not one's picked up and Hashimoto's in itself is an individual risk factor for um, miscarriage. And so just flagging issues or if there's nothing obvious mm. on their bloods going, hey, maybe I think we need to explore this or you need to get this extra type of testing. But my role is to really support them overall in terms of their fertility because fertility just goes beyond egg quality. It's inflammation, it's your immune system, it's your genetics, it's everything encompassing it's the microbiome it's you know it's everything that's Mm. coming into play that will impact on someone's ability to get pregnant and you know there's genetics of course as well too inflammation you know if you've got endometriosis of course there's this inflammation um, part to play so depends I would say as I said you know for women who come to see me it's really having that deep dive and understanding exactly where they are their partner as well too they're you know and that's a really important thing for people to understand is that mm-hmm. males um, fertility is declining rapidly now we have doubled the rate of decrease within sperm counts really? and yep so at an alarming rate if you google sperm count will be zero by 2045 mm. there is now a published paper on that now i think that's quite dramatic and i don't think we'll get to that but it just highlights yes. we are in this you know um you know we are now in a phase of um you know human reproduction where it is you know sperm count is rapidly declining and there is um big links with you know endocrine disrupting chemicals and the way that we live our life and that modern day living is not really um you know helpful for fertility unfortunately you know one in six couples are really now struggling to conceive it is a you know worldwide issue um unfortunately now so is there lifestyle factors that are contributing to this decline absolutely you know there's um there's actually a great book that people can read it's called it starts with the egg and Mm. they talk about the roles of plastics and bpas and uh endocrine disrupting chemicals so these are things like chemicals that you wash your face with, chemicals that you wash your hair oh. with, the chemicals that you spray on your, um, what's the word, you know, you spray and wipe down, you know, after you've been doing some cooking, you know, on the oh, bench. like disinfectant. Disinfectant, that's the word. Thank you. It's the fragrances that you have in your house. It's the laundry liquid that you put in your, clo- um, you know, that you wash your clothes with that you then sleep in those clothes overnight, you know, sleep in the bed sheets and you sleep, mm-hmm. you know, you have your clothes on over the day. And it's this cumulative exposure I often say to clients. It's not just like one thing. It's not like, you know, you're doing all these amazing things and you just drink out of a plastic water bottle. Like, you know, that's okay. But it's this cumulative exposure that we are now being exposed to in unprecedented amounts and ever before in any time in human history that is affecting and it's toxic to our eggs, it's toxic to our sperm. And this together combined with other factors, I don't think it's the only thing, but this is having a huge ramification for people in terms of their fertility, their egg quality, and also their sperm health as well too. And it is creating this, you know, um, demise, I suppose, in this um, fertility. And unfortunately, as I said earlier, 
many women are experiencing infertility now and many men as well too. I see lots of, um, you know, poor sperm quality, poor, poor um, egg quality and women really struggling to fall pregnant these days. So it's not just the biological clock that we're fighting anymore. No, no, I've got 20. I, I only just had on Saturday a lady who came to see me. She's been trying to get pregnant for 12 years since she was 21 you know, and she has no answers. So, and I only saw her on Saturday, you know, so this isn't just an old, you know, women, you know, kind of in their 35s, you know, sort of 40s where we start to see that decline natural and very much natural decline in egg quality that happens as we get older. Um, And of course, you know, the age is a big factor as well too. I mean, if you are, you know, kind of once you hit 35, 40, um, you know, you are, you know, at an increased risk, you know, in terms of the decline of egg quality. Um, And of course, there are things that we can do to overcome that. So I have really good nutrients that you can take to support egg quality. Um, But again, looking at the person at their entirety as well, too, it's not just the egg quality, um, but absolutely the age is a big factor as well, too. But as I said, you know, I've got women in their 20s who, you know, where age shouldn't be a factor. And, Mm. um, you know, they've got other things that are going on that are, you know, making it harder for them to fall pregnant. Hey, it's Grace here. Just want to quickly interrupt the episode to say it's time to start nourishing you. Join the eight-week program and get eight weeks of easy, delicious meal plans with full shopping lists. And at $5.50 or under per serve, it couldn't be more affordable to eat healthy. Each week, we'll give you a range of meals to cook that are quick and easy to prepare with minimal waste. You don't have to be a master chef to enjoy these nutritious meals. Plus fun online workouts, mentoring from industry experts, and access to our exclusive sleep school. Spots are limited. Join now. Now let's get back into the episode. When, um, when a should they should someone be starting to see you or someone like you who can help them? When do you start getting that investigations done? Because obviously some of these things are really unknown until you start trying to fall pregnant. And the second question is, what are some of those warning signs that you're starting to see? that maybe something isn't going right um, for you to, towards getting pregnant? So typically I would say for someone, you know, ideally I would try and do six months at a minimum, particularly if you were of an older age bracket. And what I mean by that is, you know, anywhere from 35 to 40 up to 45, I would absolutely do a minimum of six months because in my older clients, typically I see it takes a full six months to really – because your egg takes a hundred days to turn over. So you'll always have the eggs, but they're immature follicles and they've just got to, you know, turn over a few. Um, you, and you've got to allow that life cycle to happen. So I do find better success with my older clients once they've been on my supplements and re- my regime at about that six month mark. My younger clients, you know, you can get away with three months, not always, but I would say typically if you're thinking about having a baby, try and leave as much time as possible because you never know. And look, all things might be great and you do six months worth of prep and you get pregnant on the first go. And that's best case scenario, right? And maybe there was never a problem before. But I can tell you from all the women I see, there is nothing worse than wanting a baby so desperately and you're under the time clock and it's stressful and it's heartbreaking and, you know, there's lots of tears and it's super duper stressful. So the more time you can give yourself where there isn't that time pressure for yourself, the better I would say. But minimum, I would say six months is my recommended amount to try and allow for those nutrients to make a really good difference for you in terms of conception. And is it just nutrients or is there other things that you can do to prepare your body? Absolutely. So nutrients are a big one. So, um, and when I say nutrients, I also mean like there's certain types of supplements and I don't always, 
I would say the like key ones that you would kind of consider would be CoQ10. So CoQ10 is a fantastic antioxidant. It really does help with both sperm and egg quality, but you do want it at a really nice high dose, so about 300 milligrams twice daily. NAC is also a great thing. So that stands for N-acetylcysteine. So N-acetylcysteine is, again, it's another antioxidant, but what it does is it kind of helps to protect the egg from environmental toxins and it also um, reduces miscarriage risk and also improves pregnancy rates as well too. Again, a nice high dose. Again, you know, obviously to speak to your practitioner, but I usually do two grams a day. That's my recommended daily intake for my patients. And then on top of that, it really just depends on the person for me. So vitamin E is fantastic. Resveratrol is fantastic. Uh, curcumin, which is turmeric, is fantastic as well too. And then if you're maybe more of an older patient, I would typically do NMN. You can't get that here in Australia. And of course, melatonin um, as well too. So melatonin has been shown to be quite effective for um, clients who are in that older age bracket and need a little bit of extra support, particularly with their eggs. L-arginine is another fantastic one. Um, L-arginine um, just helps to improve estrogen rates specifically. So if the estrogen is a little bit lower, lower um, and maybe the lining's not as thick as it needs to be, arginine can be really effective for that. Um, and then the last one is inositol. So inositol is great for um, improving the amount of viable eggs that you haven't have. So it's also good for thyroid function as well too, and it's also great for blood sugar balancing. So it's a nice one for PCOS patients, and you typically do about six grams a day for that. So they're kind of like your I don't want to say like stock standard ones that you'd kind of draw on. And then I layer in different stuff kind of depending on the person. So if they have endometriosis, I'm more focusing on the inflammation. If they have PCOS, I'm more focusing on, you know, do they have a period? Is a period heavy enough? Are they ovulating regularly? You know, those types of things. Um, and I use my bloods to guide me on that as well too. If they've got Hashimoto's, I'm really honing in on the Hashimoto's and trying to work on those antibodies and the underlying conditions or the underlying factors that might be driving that um, immune overactivity within the thyroid gland. So it's definitely that. And then lifestyle stuff is a big one. So simple things that people can do every day is, you know, store your store your food in glass. You know, Kmart does great ones now. They're not super expensive anymore. Um, and then not heating your food up in plastic. So if you heat up your food in plastic in a microwave, the chemicals will leach from that plastic and will go into your food and then you consume that food. And a lot of these chemicals that we're exposed to now are forever chemicals. So you're never going to be able to get rid of them. They just stay in your body forever and they will impact on your fertility. Um, you know, having a, you know, a stainless steel water bottle. I love um, Yeti. I've got a Yeti water bottle myself. I've got a Yeti. Yeah, love the Yeti. Um, you know, and then simple things like, you know, um, if you can't buy organic, uh, washing your veggies with, you know, baking soda and vinegar can be a great option, you know, because I get, um, you know, organic, buying organic can be really expensive. Changing over to low-tox makeup, changing over to low-tox um, cleaning products as well. They're all your basics, I would say. To anyone who came to me wanting, you know, or had any fertility concerns, they would be my absolute basics that I would put them on. And then, of course, depending on the person, I would, you know, layer in different things. But I often talk about with my clients um, the marginal gain theory in cycling. It's not just like one thing that you can do. It's all the little things. It's, you know, the bike rider gets the more aerodynamic, you know, helmet. He gets the lighter suit. He gets the lighter bike. And he, then he can go faster, right? And it's the same with fertility. It's all the tiny little things that are going to add up to a big difference long term and also just general overall health as well too. This isn't just about fertility. It's also just about you as a human being as well too and and living healthy living long um as well and all of those things will really impact um long term um on them if they can start to make those big changes um in their lifestyle and then you mentioned when you have Hashimoto's or 
polycystic ovaries or endometriosis, you change their plan depending on those conditions. So for women who are wanting to freeze their egg, because I often hear stories of women who have frozen their eggs and they've only had a certain amount of eggs that they've been able to extract. Is there something that those women can do to help freeze their eggs and help their chances of making more eggs? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so the same thing would would apply. So it's all about improving you know, the response to medication. So making sure that they're having a good response and they can collect those eggs. Um, But where I suppose I fit in is helping your body when you do collect eggs that all of them are actually viable and turn in, you know, well, not that they'll be turning into embryo if they're doing egg freezing, but um, if they are, you know, doing egg freezing, making sure that they can at least be matured and then frozen um, as well too. But they all the same things that I've spoken about will apply um, to that person if they're doing egg freezing. And then for the couples facing complex IVS cases, what are some of the things that they are encountering and how can they navigate these challenges? Yeah, look, the best the best piece of advice I would say is to come armed with information so that you can go to your fertility specialist so that you can ask the questions of it if it has been tested, tested essentially, because women could have clotting issues, they could have natural killer cells. That's a little bit controversial in some spaces, but there are many fertility specialists who are acknowledging it now and do treat it. Uh, there can be genetic issues. So there can be um, issues when the egg comes together. There are certain types of genes, they're called the HLA DQ alpha genes, I'm quite sure. Um, but those genes, and again, if it come, it's, you know, when the egg and um, the sperm come together, those genetics can play a role in miscarriage and failed implantation rates. Silent endometriosis is a big one as well too. I've got some clients who have been trying to get pregnant for years. They have no symptoms of endometriosis, um, but they haven't had a laparoscopy. So a laparoscopy is the gold standard um, investigation that you can do to check for endo. And that would be something to absolutely consider, particularly if you've been fine and full pregnant for a really long period of time and things are not happening um, absolutely women can have what we call silent endo where you don't really present with any symptoms but you do have the you know the endometriosis within the pelvic cavity which isn't picked up until they do a laparoscopy however i would say that there is a great new scan that people can do now before they do a laparoscopy it's called a die scan it's a deep infiltrating endometriosis scan so that scan can be a good stepping stone before you then consider a laparoscopy because a laparoscopy is expensive and of course quite you know it's invasive surgery you've got to go under for it as well so it is simple day surgery but you know it's you know in surgery nevertheless so doing the die scan can be you know, as I said, that kind of first stepping stone because it can pick up, you know, that deep infiltrating endometriosis and it then can be like the first kind of sign of like, okay, yeah, it looks like there might be some endometriosis that then warrants going under and having a laparoscopy to have a little look around. So with males, you know, when you obviously, I know you specialise in females, but with the male side of things, what are you seeing apart from obviously there's this, you know, huge decline, what can they be facing and what can you help to um, boost, I guess, male fertility in this space? Yeah, so with male fertility, similar nutrients, definitely. Um, So definitely CoQ10, definitely NAC, um, definitely zinc is another fabulous one that's great. Selenium, really lots of antioxidants, lycopene as well too, are really fantastic for that sperm. Reducing chemical exposure as well too because sperm are even more sensitive to the damage of um, chemicals than eggs are. So they are extremely sensitive. Um, so same same kind of uh, you know dietary and lifestyle changes for men. 
particularly with men, maybe, you know, if they're vaping, smoking, marijuana, all of these are super toxic to sperm. So that's like an absolute no-no, um, you know, if you are trying to conceive. And then looking at other things for them. Oh, actually, I will say before I go on, the important thing to remember is with sperm testing. So this is another big one is that sperm testing, the reference ranges that they are given are done by the World Health Organization and they represent the fifth percentile of fertile men. And what I mean by that is like that is the absolute bare minimum that your sperm needs to be at to be considered for IVF basically. So that is not optimal. So that's another really important differentiation to take note because I'll have clients who say, oh, my husband's sperm's fine. I'm like, can I actually look at the result? Because oftentimes it's not okay. And they are sitting at that really low level, you know, concentrations at 15, morphologies at three, motilities at I don't know, 27% progressive motility is sitting really low as well too. So it's important to remember that concentration needs to be at 73 million. That's at 50th percentile. That gives you an average chance of conception. Progressive motility, I think, needs to be sitting at about 61. Motility is about 55%. Morphology is the most important marker for me overall. The other ones are very important, but that is the most important because morphology tells me the percentage of sperm that are mature and normally, are shaped, normally shaped, basically. So out of everything that you're making, what's what is what is good basically and so if you're sitting at a morphology of four percent it makes it basically means that 96 percent is rubbish you know and if you turn that you flip that around really what it should be is about 15 percent you know the fertility reference ranges that we have today would have been considered infertile 15 years ago we've just changed the goalposts now because you know, our fertility is declining. So it's just the reference range is getting lower and lower. And of course, if you go through IVF, they can pick and choose them for you. But if you're trying to get pregnant, actually, this is where your levels really need to be sitting up for that average chance of conception. It's quite disheartening as a female because men, I know, I know this sounds awful, but it sounds like they're almost getting a hall pass when sometimes, you know, females, so much comes, so much pressure is on the female to create the perfect egg, to be the perfect host, all of this kind of stuff. And when it comes to infertility issues, the first person that A, feels it, but also is the one to be investigated is the female. And then there's, there are issues with men. And if it's kind of, it's not as pronounced or it's not, you know, and it's not spoken about, because they're being told that their fertility is okay and they're not working on their fertility, then especially when there's so many factors that go into making that embryo and really you need both sides to be, you know, optimal, I guess. It's just, it seems like we're just missing opportunities here and it must be heartbreaking for couples that are going through it to realise that there is so much more that they could have been doing. Absolutely. Because like you said, people will come to me and they've been trying to conceive for two years, you know, and you're like, in my head, I'm like, oh my, there's so much I need to do. I need to get all this stuff. And like, but they're already been in this journey for like two years. And mm-hmm. I'm, you know, oftentimes, as I said, I'm like, the, I'm the last point of call because they've done nine failed IVF rounds, trying to get pregnant for two years, you know, can't get pregnant. They've got no help, you know, and then they kind of come to me. And then I'm trying to like, okay, let's do this, 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 and this. Let's go get investigated for this and this and this. But it can be really hard for them to kind of ramp up that, you know, okay, I've got to get going again and keep going because it's a really Mm. long and lonely and sad journey to go on that infertility Mm. journey. And it can feel really lonely and like no one understands and no one gets you. And, you know, it can be really, yeah, it can be a really sad journey to go through. So when you're going through that journey and as you said, 
couple has been trying for two years and then they'll meet you to get to the next step. But what? It, where can they seek support? Look, you know what? That is a great question. If I would love if your listeners knew anywhere, but I'm look, I'm sure... There are lots of Instagram pages and Facebook pages where I'm sure you would have support online. Absolutely other women going through the exact same thing. I'm just not aware of exact names of different um, support groups, but I, I would only imagine you'd have to type in miscarriage support group online and there would be a plethora of places to find support there. I think mm-hmm. Facebook as well. Um yeah. If you're going through IBF, there's a lot of Facebook groups for IBF. Yeah, there you um, go. Yeah, that's what yeah. yeah. One of the better places to start is probably Facebook where you can find a support group of mm. like-minded women that are going through it and then ask questions. So they might not be your answers, but they might be jumping off points because a lot of people have done the research for you and can really help um, help guide you through different areas and different, you know, if you're having you know, if you've got questions, they can help mm. answer it as well. Oh, absolutely. Because you don't know what you don't know. Like I have yeah. clients who just come to me and they think they've been fully investigated. I'm like, has this been done? Has this been? No, no, no. You know, and so you don't know what you don't know. You just, uh, res- you know, you're just a receiver of the information and you're like, oh, mm. okay, well, I'm assuming everything's been done, but oftentimes it's not. And I feel like the more we go just in as like a women's health overall, I feel like we're learning so much more about our bodies, our reproductive systems, our gut health, our hormones, like than we did 10, 20 years ago. Like the industry is becoming so much more aware of these things. Absolutely. It's a great time, I think, now to like be a woman growing up, particularly. I remember when I was a teenager, I just was like, I can get pregnant every single day of my cycle. That's like literally (laughs) do not have intercourse, go on the pill and you'll be fine, basically, you know. And there was like no education around it at all. Yeah. We had a guest on last week. She's a menstrual educator and she teaches Mm. women how to map out their cycle. Yeah, amazing. And I'm sitting there like, I feel like such an idiot because I didn't know all these things. But I didn't want to admit it to her, but I've just admitted it to you. So (laughs) not at all, not at all. I was the same. I mean, God, I went went on the pill, you know. Um, I went on the pill. I was, you know, I was went on the pill when I was 17, so that's like, 2004 um it was a long time ago now so you know I was on the pill and you know I stayed on it until I was 24 at 25 I think um and it wasn't actually until I started studying that I was like oh I actually don't want to put that in my body anymore and I just Mm -hmm. came off it and then you know then I post for acne and all the things you know after it but no one tells you about that they're just like I'll go on the pill you'll be fine and you know Mm -hmm. then I'm like the raging anxiety mess and then you know then I have post for acne when I come off is there any words of advice or encouragement you can give to couples that are facing challenges with IVF? I think the first port of call is that you have more control than you actually realise that you do, that you can make changes, you know, and they can be simple changes, you know. They can be diet, lifestyle, Mediterranean diet. Can Just eating fruit and veg can increase your fertility chances by 70%. Mm-hmm. You know, you have way more control than you actually realise. So putting in that time and energy and effort to improving your diet, improving your lifestyle, making those changes and sticking with them, you know, adding in the smart supplementation where needed, you know, those things will make a massive difference. And then finding someone that you can lean on, you know, like myself or another practitioner who specializes in fertility. You want someone, particularly in this day and age, as fertility isn't as simple as it was 20 years ago. It's very complex. There are lots of moving different parts. There's lots of things to consider and factors to take into when I'm considering a patient and what I need to be putting her on or the male as well too. So finding someone who specializes in fertility is essential. 
Megan, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. It has been such a pleasure. And for all our listeners who want to learn a little bit more, I'll put links in the show notes below. Like this podcast, please give us a five-star review and share it with someone who you think would benefit from it. We want to help as many people as possible live healthier lives. This podcast is general in nature. We aren't doctors or health practitioners. But if this podcast has prompted something for you, we really encourage you to make an appointment with your health practitioner and get advice that is tailored to you. This podcast is recorded on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples.